You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. He sits. He becomes persistent teachers and tempters of others, seeking to draw other people into those same temptations and to sins. So there's a progression outlined for us here in the Psalm 1, the first of all of the Psalms, and it goes from bad to worse. So that person, his heart no longer smites him, no longer senses that feeling of guilt. And gang, let me tell you something, this is a dangerous place to be in. When a person first begins to flirt with sin, they hear the Spirit tell them no. But as they begin to walk down that path, they slowly silence that voice. Pastor Mike is talking about the end result of that first flirtation. At the end, the person no longer hears the cautioning voice. In fact, they begin to draw others into the sin with them. Where are you on that path? Have you begun to flirt with sin, taking that first step down the path? Or have you settled into sin? Can you still hear the Spirit's whisper? Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 24 as he begins his message, A Cure for Guilt and Fear. Things are winding down now in our series in the book of 2 Samuel, and the, the title of that series is The Making of a Man of God, and this message is actually the final message from 2 Samuel, but it's not the final message in the series, The Making of a Man of God. And the text that we're going to be treating is not found in 2 Samuel at all, but rather in 1 Chronicles, as well as in 1 Kings. And there in both of those books of the Bible, we have David addressing his son Solomon, and he shares with him the instructions about how to experience the blessed life. David is just recalling all of his own personal experiences, his own walk and his relationship with the the Lord, and how to experience the blessed life. He's looking to pass it along to his son. And also how to be an exceptional king over Israel. Remember, Solomon followed in his dad's footsteps as the next king over Israel. And the value in that study, in that message is, you know, if we will apply those instructions that David shared with his son Solomon, we also will experience the blessed life. And we will be successful in whatever we put our hand to as well. So therein lies the value of that message. And this message will be the concluding message in our series, The Making of a Man of God. But just keep me in prayer and that the Lord would really lead and direct because we want to be right in the center of God's will, right? and everything that we do here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. And we, and we want to 
choose the next book of the Bible that's relevant to the needs of our people that attend our church. God has a wonderful way of doing that, doesn't he? But anyway, we're still in 2 Samuel, so grab your Bibles. We're in the final chapter of that book of the Bible. That would be in chapter 24. And the text that we're going to be treating, although we're going to go through the entire uh, chapter, is found in verses 1 through 10. So that's going to be our focus this morning. And then I'm going to summarize the remaining verses of Scripture within that chapter. So let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 10, chapter 24, 2 Samuel, and then we'll open up in a word of prayer. And this morning's message, the title is, A Cure for Guilt and Fear. A Cure for Guilt and Fear. So let's go ahead and read that text. Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. And he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. And so the king said to Joab, the commander of the army, one of uh, David's generals, who was with him, Now go through all of the tribes of Israel, from Dan to Bathsheba, and count the people, that I may know the number of the people. So he's looking to take a census. And Joab said to the king, Now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times more than there are. And may the eyes of my Lord, the king, David, see it. But why does my Lord, the king, desire this thing? Why take this census? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the army. And therefore, Joab and the captains of the army went out from the presence of the king to count the people of Israel. And they crossed over the Jordan River and camped in Eroer on the right side of the town, which is in the midst of the ravine of Gad and towards Jaser. And they came to Gilead and to the land of Tathim Hadji. And they came to Jan and around to Sidon. And they came to the stronghold of Tyre and all the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites. And then they went out to south Judah and as far as Beersheba. So when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. That's how long it took for them to get together all of the information that was a part of the census. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to the king. And there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword. And the men of Judah were 500,000 men. And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Let's begin in that word of prayer. Father, we pray now that you bless the remainder of our time together as we uh, treat this final chapter here in the book of 2 Samuel. Lord, help us to learn all of the lessons that are contained within it. Lord, help us, Father, to also receive the warnings that are also contained within it. But Lord, use this time together to just draw closer to you, to fall more deeply in love with you. God, we thank you, and also we ask, as always, that my words would be your words. Help me to say only those things that you want me to say. Bless now. God, I pray that this message would be relevant. And Lord, that you would take it and personalize it in each and every one of our lives. God, we thank you, for we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So once again, this message, the title is A Cure for Guilt and Fear. Now, these last few chapters, as I've already mentioned in one of our previous studies, 
here in the book of 2 Samuel are a part of what we call an appendix. The writer, who is inspired by God, deemed it necessary to include certain stories or events that are important. And they, they, they serve, they're served up for our learning. But they don't follow any chronological order. In fact, many Bible historians place this story that's recorded for us here in this final chapter shortly after Absalom's unsuccessful coup attempt to unseat his father David from the throne. So many Bible historians place it somewhere between chapters 15 and 18 here in the book of 2 Samuel. So again, it doesn't follow any chronological order. And although the central figure of this chapter is obviously David, and the focus is placed upon his blunder, his sin, and its consequences, it has been said that this was really God's way of punishing Israel for abandoning his anointed and following Absalom. Now, before we get into our text, let me briefly summarize the rest of this chapter, verses 11 through verse 25. Now, the next day, after what we've just read in the first 10 verses of Scripture, the next day the prophet Gad, notice there in verse 11, came to David informing him that God was going to judge him and Israel, and God, through the prophet, gave him three punishment scenarios. Could you imagine that? Notice there in verse 13. So follow along with me. I'm just giving you a brief summary of the remainder of the chapter. So here were the three punishment scenarios because of their sin. Verse 13. Seven years of famine, either three months of David's enemies chasing him, seeking to kill him, or a three-day plague in the land. Well, David threw himself upon the mercies of God, and he said, basically, God, you choose. And God sends an angel, and in one day, according to verse 15, 70,000 men are killed. Can you imagine that? One mighty angel is sent by God, and he killed 75,000 men of Israel. Well, anyway, as we read on in the concluding verses of this chapter, David cries out to the Lord. He confesses his sin. He intercedes for Israel. He offers sacrifices, and God relents. Notice, let's go ahead and read that final verse of Scripture here in this chapter. And David built there an altar to the Lord, and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers for the land, and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. Okay, so with that said, let's go back now to our text, verses 1 through 10, and let me break them down for you. So here in our text, David's sin was that of taking a census amongst the people, that is, numbering the people. Now, that probably raises the question in your mind, what was this sin? Well, a couple of suggestions have been offered. First of all, going back to, and remember, God's promise that he made to Abraham so many years before concerning how that uh, his descendants, remember God had spoken to Abraham, told him to get out of, uh, from where he lived and go to a land that he would show him, that is the land of Canaan, and that he would bless him. 
and his descendants would be as great in number as the sand upon the sea. So therefore, many people believe that David's sin was found in, in, in taking the census, really that on David's part, this was a, an unbelief in what God had told Abraham. So therefore, there was no need to take this uh, census. Therefore, he wasn't trusting in what God had said, nor God's word. So that has been one of the suggestions that have been offered as it relates to David's sin. But I believe that the correct one is that of David's pride in his military might. You see, pride had filled David's heart. He was trusting in the number of men he had to fight and to defend the nation of Israel, rather than just simply trusting in the Lord to defend the nation of Israel. And notice there in verse 9, let's go back to our text, notice there in verse 9, the census only had to do with the number of able-bodied men, valiant in war, and all in all there were 1,300,000 in number. So do you see that? So therefore, we have the indication that that was really all about not how many people there was as a part of the nation of Israel, but how many people were a part of David's military strength. He was placing his faith and trust in his military might. Now, let me also add that this was a very common practice among the heathen nations, but we're not talking about a heathen nation here. We're talking about the people of God. We're talking about Israel. And among the heathen nations, you know, taking their own census would help them to figure out their strategies as they went to war, and uh, also their defense kind of strategy. So, but that, again, only applied to the heathen nations. So that's probably the reason why uh, David and Israel is now going to be judged by God. Now notice there in verse 3, the latter part of verse 3, David's general, Joab, objected to this census. Let's go back to the latter part of verse 3. And notice after David asks him to go forth and to number the people, Joab, David's general, replies and he says, but why does my lord, the king, desire this thing? In other words, why count them? It's not necessary. But as we read on, we are told that David prevailed. He didn't listen to the wise counsel of Joab. And also notice, as soon as they came back from taking the census, and as they reported the number to David, there in verse 10, we are told, and David's heart condemned him after that he had numbered the people. In other words, David realized that he had just sinned against God. And you know what? And I find this kind of interesting. And I want you to think about your own personal experience. So often, when we yield to a temptation, when temptation presents an opportunity for us, and the moment we have fallen into that temptation and sin, rather than feeling satisfaction and joy and excitement, right? And that more times, that's the reason why we fall into uh, to sin. We rather feel miserable, right? It all of a sudden dawns us. What, what a ridiculous thing that I've just done. We think, why did I do that? And we feel conscious struck because of what we have done. And that's exactly what happened to David here in this text. Something inside David told him what he had done was foolish. It was wrong. 
and we are also told that his heart smote him. Now, Jesus said in John's Gospel in chapter 16 and verse 8, when the Holy Spirit comes, he shall convict the world of sin. That is, he will testify of sin. In other words, whenever we do something wrong, the Spirit speaks to our heart and convicts us of our sin. And listen, let me tell you something. This is a blessed ministry, and we should be thankful for that, right? You know, the Holy Spirit working, reproving us of our our sin, telling us what we've done is wrong, seeking to turn us from our sin. You know, Paul speaks of men who in the last days, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, who so continued in their sin that their conscience had become seared. That is, they would not hear the voice of the Spirit, thus God wouldn't speak to them any longer. How important it is to be able to hear the voice of the Spirit of God. When the Spirit of God speaks to us, reproving us, convicting us of our sin, seeking to turn us away from our sin. You see, that's one of the important ministries and operation of God's Holy Spirit. Now, also let me add that there's a progression to all of this, and I want you to think about this. The first time that we are presented with a temptation, we fight against it. We know that we're wrong. We're convicted uh, by the Holy uh, Spirit. And we, but nevertheless, we fall into it, and we don't heed the warning of the Holy Spirit. And so we enter in. And of course, the result of that is we feel miserable. And we, then we begin to ask ourselves, you know, why did I do that in the first place? So that's the first part of this progression of sin in a person's life. The second time, the person who has allowed himself to fall into that sin, his defenses have been broken down. And this time, they don't fight against it. And then they find it easier to do it the second time. And by the way, let me also add, when temptation presents an opportunity... Don't even entertain it at all. Because again, the second time when the temptation comes, and you can be sure there's going to be a second time, it'll just be a lot easier to fall into it again. So what happens after the second time? You begin to rationalize your actions, your sin. Until now, you have done it so many times, it doesn't even bother you when you do it. And therefore, the Bible refers to that whole process as our conscious being seared. Now, there's a progression that's outlined for us in the Psalm 1 and verse 1, and it goes from bad to worse. So take heed of this. Notice in Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the man who, first of all, walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So notice the progression here. He first of all walks, secondly he stands, and thirdly he sits. He walks first of all carelessly, and he gives in to his fleshly impulses. And isn't that the way that sin begins to have its effect on a person's life? The second part is he stands. After he walks, then finally he stands, willfully violating God's commandments ignoring God's warnings. And then thirdly, he sits. He becomes persistent teachers and tempters of others, seeking to draw other people into those same temptations and to sins. 
So there's a progression outlined for us here in the Psalm 1, the first of all of the Psalms, and it goes from bad to worse. So that person, his heart no longer smites him, no longer senses that feeling of guilt. And gang, let me tell you something, this is a dangerous place to be in. It could even mean that God has withdrawn his spirit from us. You know, one of the most frightening verses of Scripture in all of the Bible is found in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3, when God tells us there, my spirit shall not always strive with man. What a terrible place to be in. That is when God withdraws his spirit from us. And no longer do we experience the effect of God's Holy Spirit reproving us and convicting us of our sin. And so, what a blessing then, right? That conviction, it's really a blessing. We should be thankful for it when we have that conviction. When we feel terrible after that we have sinned, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? You've experienced this for yourself, but again, there's the warning. That might not always be the case. You see, you can go on, you can go so into sin, you can continue in sin, that God will not speak to you anymore. Let me give you a couple of cross-references for this. In the book of Hosea, in chapter 4 and verse 17, as it relates to the tribe of Ephraim, which was the dominant tribe in the northern kingdom. And there we are told that Ephraim is joined to idols, and then God goes uh, goes on to proclaim through the prophet Hosea, let him alone. Let them alone. It's tragic when God says of a person, let them alone. In the book of Jeremiah, in chapter 14 and verse 11, there God spoke to Jeremiah. And in turn, Jeremiah was to bring the message to the people. And God said to Jeremiah, don't pray anymore for these people. Don't pray for their good. So God spoke to Jeremiah. And if you pray, I will not hear you. And another portion in the book of Jeremiah, God addresses the people through the prophet, and he says, don't even bother lifting up your hands towards heaven, because when you pray, I am not going to hear you. Can you imagine anything so terrible? I mean, you know, in life circumstances, and every one of us goes through some kind of an experience where we make our appeal unto God. We're asking God for help. We're asking God to intervene. We're seeking the counsel of God. But guess what? It never comes because God has left us alone, right? And we have to face whatever situation we're going through on our own, in our own strength. But what a blessing it is to know that in times like that, we have the ability to go before the Lord, before the throne of grace, and receive God's word, receive God's counsel and God's help. You see, they had gone too far. And it is possible for a person to continue in sin to the extent where God will no longer speak to them. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. We're so glad you joined us today for In My Father's House. Pastor Mike has been taking you through the book of 2 Samuel, an Old Testament book that continues the story of David. David was a great king, loved by many, and forever etched in history as a man after God's heart. Yet, he wasn't perfect. 
God used David in powerful ways, even after he had failed. And God can use you, too. Are you still seeking the Lord? Are you repentant when you fall? God sees your heart, and He's merciful, and He has great plans for you. Continue to trust in His goodness and faithfulness, and let Him use you to bring glory to His name and share the good news of the hope that's found in Christ. If you'd like to explore more messages from Pastor Mike, visit HarvestNYC.org or find the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified every time we post a new edition of the show. Just search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. If you're in Midtown Manhattan, we'd love for you to come visit us this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. There's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Find out more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Make plans to join us on Thursdays, too. We're meeting virtually to jump back into the Word midweek and worship the Lord. That starts at 7.30 p.m. online at harvestnyc.org. That's all we have time for today. Join us again for more right here on In My Father's House.